In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, it's a sad truth that of all the things that uh, uh, things taught about how to speak and behave and live the Christian life, uh, the one thing that most often doesn't make it to our ears is the biblical teaching of marriage. Uh, I grew up in the generation where pastors and parents simply delegated this responsibility, the teaching of dating, sex, and marriage to public schools and to Hollywood. And sure, you might have uh, gotten a few minutes of instruction from uh, one of your parents once, but a few minutes of conversation once or twice is nowhere near close enough to properly prepare and instruct a child for marriage. Literally, the biggest and most important decision one will ever make in his entire life. A decision more important than what you study, where you work, where you'll live, and what car you'll drive. Think about that. Parents spend significantly more time teaching their children how to throw a ball, how to hold a bat, how to root for a team, how to clean the house, how to cut the grass, or literally anything else in this world. But any talk about how to be a Christian, how to lead a family, how to find a beautiful, godly, and pious spouse isn't even on our radar. It's not bad to teach these other things. But if you find it important to teach all these small and insignificant things, then why would we neglect to teach them who to marry? It's infinitely more important. Now, when it comes to why any instruction on marriage in the church doesn't make it to our ears, it could be uh, very well for one of two reasons. Uh, It could be that pastors don't want to preach it. And there was a time, and that we're kind of still in it, when pastors focused more on church growth and programs and statistics than the Word of God. But it could also be that faithful pastors have preached it, but we didn't want to hear it. It could be that we've closed our ears to any teaching because we didn't really want to be told who to love, who to marry, how many children to have, and so on. We simply wanted to live on our own, do what we want, and make our own rules. No matter the reason why biblical instruction on marriage hasn't made it to our ears, if it's our fault, our parents' fault, or the pastor's fault, in the end, there's really no excuse because we all have the Bible, and the Bible is clear. His word is clear. The Bible speaks very clearly of what marriage is and what it's for. So marriage is the lifelong union between a man and a woman for the purpose of companionship and having babies. So let's dissect it. How do we know that marriage is supposed to be lifelong? Because in Malachi chapter 2, God says he hates divorce. Even more, he says what God has joined together, let no man separate. How do we know that marriage is between a man and a woman only? Because when God created the world, he created them male and female, and he brought them together, as you heard, and he said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. How do we know that marriage is for companionship? Because before God made Eve from Adam's side, he said, It's not good for man to be alone. 
How do we know marriage is for having children? Because when God brought them together, he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That's what marriage is, and it should be taught and engraved into our children's minds, in our own minds, that marriage is a great and glorious blessing. God has created the world in such a way that the entire world depends upon marriage. In fact, marriage is the backbone, the heart, the center of society because it's the source of people, the place where human beings come from. So with this being said, it means that the most efficient attack, pay attention, the most efficient attack that the devil has on this earth is his attack on marriage. If he can attack marriage, then he simultaneously attacks family and society and the church and the entire world at once. Ruining the home sends shockwaves to everything else around it. The fastest way to destroy a family is to turn the husband away from his wife and vice versa. In fact, in this situation, this is where children suffer most. When a husband no longer cares for, loves, and leads his wife. And when a wife no longer submits to or respects her husband. That's what children need. Children need their father and mother to love each other as much as they love their children. But the statistics show the devastation that occurs on a family when a husband doesn't love his wife. When a father leaves or abandons his family. The absence of the father is the most significant cause of poverty. And it's the most consistent cause for crime and murder. When husbands don't love their wives, when they leave them or neglect them, children are more likely to be neglected, abused, have emotional problems, drop out of school, become delinquent. Divorce wreaks havoc on children. They're more likely to leave the church, more likely to cohabitate, more, less likely to marry, more likely to have marital problems, more likely to shout and hit and be abusive in relationships, more likely to end up in divorce as well. And the statistics go on and on. This is just simply describing the truth. Even more, we see all these bad examples of marriage before us in the world and even in the church. Many times, even in our own family. We see the horrible reality that divorce runs rampant among us, that the average marriage nowadays lasts about seven years. We see that 45, roughly half of first marriages end in divorce, 60% for the next, 73% for the third, and so on and so forth. It's really awful. Marriage is very, very hard. Precisely because our sin fights against it and because the devil attacks it relentlessly. He has all of his arrows aimed at marriage and this, this is in fact why I don't like jokes that degrade marriage or ones that mock spouses. It's not simply that they're inappropriate or distasteful, it's that these jokes are mocking God's blessing. They ridicule the thing that God so lovingly created with us in mind. They desensitize us to sin and lovelessness. So why does all this happen? What's going on? Well, it's the result of a stubborn and hardened heart. Make no mistake, marriage is very, very difficult. And it's not to be entered into lightly or inadvisedly. 
And just like every other relationship, it is plagued by sin. But what is the absolute worst thing for marriage, keep in mind, is not sin. It's impenitence. There will never come a day in this life when you will not sin against your wife and when your wife will not sin against you. You will never be sinned against more, be sinned against and sin against anyone as much as you do your own spouse. And you'll never be forgiven and forgive anyone more than your own spouse. The only source for this repentance and forgiveness is Christ and his wounds. And this is why you need his blessing in marriage before even attempting to live together with another sinner. The problem is when you take your eyes off of Christ and your ears away from his word. And when you do that, then you no longer have the ability to forgive the sin in your marriage. You'll end up only holding grudges, getting bitter, and getting revenge. Marriage can survive sin only through forgiveness, but marriage can't survive in penitence. When you lose God's word, then you lose the ability to repent of sin and to forgive it. And any marriage not based on God's word, that is not based on forgiveness that he won on the cross for us, is one that is bound to be miserable or fail. God created marriage, and he knows how best to make marriages work well. In the following weeks, we're going to take up the specific duties of the husband and of the wife and the responsibilities. But for tonight, it's enough to know that marriage is God's gift to us. When we encounter problems and difficulties in marriage... Remember that the problem is not marriage. The problem is us, our sinful hearts. And we must repent of our sins and turn to Christ for his forgiveness. So remember that Christ himself has died for and forgiven every single sin that occurs within your marriage. Every sin that happened in your family, every sin that you will commit, Even before you've committed them, your dear Lord has taken them upon himself and died for them on the cross. Christ laid down his life and covered all of your sins with his blood. If you don't have the strength to forgive your spouse, then flee to Christ and find your forgiveness in him. When your spouse fails to be perfect, which they will already have, Take them by the hand and bring them to church with you. Point them to Jesus and kneel down together to be made whole again. When you have failed in your own marriage, when you fail to live up to God's word and standard of marriage, go to your husband or wife and admit your sin. Confess it. Love one another as God has loved you. Remember that Christ has come precisely to forgive all your sins and to crown you with salvation. During Christmas time is, uh, during the holidays is a time when uh, family conflict and marriages suffer uh, with so many other things going on. But remember that on Christmas, Christ came down to this earth and took on your flesh, flesh of your flesh and bone of your bone, and joined himself with you forever. Remember that he came to lay his life down for you. Remember that in your baptism, Christ presented you blameless and holy in his sight. Remember that in the Lord's Supper, he invites you again and again and again to the great banquet and wedding feast where he makes you his own. Even though you may falter and fail in your marriage and keeping your vows, 
God's vows to you to love you, to save you, and to cherish you do not fail. It says, remember everything Christ did for you. Do that for one another, husbands and wives. Keep your wedding vows and remember what you promised to one another when you said these words at your wedding. When you said, I take you to be my wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death, us do part, according to God's holy will, and I pledge to you my faithfulness. God will give you the strength to do this. And you stay in the word and you don't give up. Now before I close, uh, here's some practical advice for those wanting to be married. And even if you're not married, take this instruction and learn it. And teach it to others, to your children and to your friends and to one another and to those here in this church. Remind one another of these things. So the first thing, in no particular order, is don't live together before marriage. This is adultery, it is sinful, and it kills faith in Christ. If you are ready to live together, then you're ready to be married. So get married. Two, uh, marry a Christian, one of the same faith. Don't seek someone who's outside of the faith. The chances of you losing your faith because of their unbelief are unbelievably high. If you're dating someone who does not believe and confess the same way you do, either end the relationship or wait until they become a Christian before marrying them. Find someone who makes the same confession of faith you do, who loves the same God as you. If you are dating a Christian, a Lutheran, marry young. Don't put college or work a specific age or anything else before that. These things can and are going to change. A spouse is significantly more important than any of these things. Four, get the approval and blessing of all parents, yours and hers. If they don't approve, then move on. The scripture says, honor your father and your mother. And this applies even in marriage and even to your spouse's parents. Uh, five, pray to God for children and don't do anything to prevent them from being conceived or born. Let God bless you with many, many children if it is his will. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full, the scriptures say. Let the Lord fill your house with children, with noise and with a great mess and happy chaos that comes with kids. Save your money, be wise, don't spend it on frivolous things, but spend it on loving and taking care of your family. Don't worry, God will provide for you and he will take care of you and your children. And if God finally blesses you with children according to his will, then baptize them that very week they are born as soon as possible. Take them to church, teach them to fold their hands and pray, and don't let the world indoctrinate. Whether you are married or not tonight, pray for everyone who is and who wants to be. Pray that God would give them a godly spouse. 
one who loves him, who fears him, and who trusts him above all things, that pray that God would bless every marriage, that he give all marriages children, and speak well of marriage to others. Amen. Hear the words of this hymn. Grant that as Christ so loved his bride, he gave himself for her and died, to cleanse her from her sin and shame, and give to her his holy name. So may each man of Christian faith cling, cling kindly to his wife till death, so that in every family we see your love's pure mystery. Let every man provide for them whom you have given unto him. Give every mother strength and prayer for those you put within her care. Drive far from us adultery, lest we your wrath and anger see. Drive from our hearts all lust perverse that would your pure design reverse. Keep well our children, chaste and pure, and when the world and flesh allure, grant them repentance, guard their faith, return to them your spirit's bath. And give to each Christian spouse, and give your word within their house. And if it be your gracious will, their home with many children fill. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.